let's read John 15. And instead of going, I'm not going to read through the whole uh, 1 through 25. I'm just going to read um, out loud um, basically the sections that I'm hitting, which every single one of these verses I'll be hitting. But I think it's easier to do it this way than to try to like read it all. Um, So I'll just read it out. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. All right, let's look at these first three verses. Um, I'm going to unpack the idea of this, you know, this whole ecosystem that God has created. He's created an awesome ecosystem in, in, in how uh, people are reached and how people are discipled in the whole thing. And I know uh, you guys have had a, um, a, about a year and a half, I heard, you guys have like a Nourish series um, where there's like these little booklets you guys had. Um, definitely go back to those if you have them and go through them with your MC group or, or even with your, your family um, yeah, your nucleus family, I guess. And um, because this this is only a refresher, it's not going to be able to go super in-depth in the whole concept. But um, basically, here's the deal. I like to look at, so it says Father is the uh, vine dresser. I like to look at the, that as a big hand, okay? I'm just going to be really simple on this. This is a big hand, okay? That's basically what the Father is. He assesses the fruit. He assesses the branches. He trims, he prunes, he decides what to do with the sick or broken branches. That is what the Father does. Now we know that the Son is the vine. Jesus is the vine. He says, I am the vine. What is the vine? What does that represent? The source of life gives the nourishment, the strength. He holds the strength. He's keeping it all together. Which obviously helps us realize a couple things. Um, We're not the source of life for somebody else. Jesus is the source of life. We don't give nourishment, but Jesus gives nourishment. So we point them to Jesus. And then ultimately, we can't be the strength of anybody else. We also cannot even be the strength of our own selves and our own walk. But we abide in Jesus, which we're going to get to that point. We abide in the vine. We, we dwell in the vine. We remain in the vine. And that is the thing that gives us strength. Next is going to be the spirit. It doesn't specifically say this, um, but I just wanted to help you understand where the spirit fits in this whole thing. The spirit is like the sun, the rain, the wind, the air, the oxygen that essentially is pouring on and the elements that are pouring onto the vine that also helps the branches and the fruit grow. And so without the spirit, it will wither and die as well. It's very important that you have the vine dresser, very important that you have the vine, and it's very important that you have the elements that come to you um, and, you know, give you, you know, sun and, and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, so I, lo- I wrote down feeds the vine and branches and um, provides uh, nourishment. Uh, you know, Jesus also does too, but he's the one who's receiving this from the Spirit, giving it to you kind of thing. Um, okay, look, let's look at the people of God. It says, uh, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. It says, every branch 
Um, who is the branches? We are the branches, right? The people of God. Disciples specifically. Um, what is our job? Receives the nourishment, bears the fruit. What's interesting is, is, that, um, is that the vine does not bear the fruit. Jesus is, is relying on us to bear fruit. It's very important for us to realize this because even though I said, give Jesus all the credit, he's the strength, he's the one that nourishes, he's the one who does all that, he still expects the fruit to come off of the branches, which means that we need to receive those things and, and uh, become healthy and pure in him in order for that fruit to ultimately grow and even more importantly, become healthy and actually be good fruit. You know, there is bad fruit. There's actually fruit that, that is, doesn't taste good, that never fully matures. So fruit is, is part of our job. And then what is the fruit? The fruit is the fruit of the spirit. It's God's love. That's the grapes. And uh, what I love about that is that it's used for the wine. It's used for the wine. It's, it's, it's the source of the actual uh, gospel and the mission that will happen. That's what we're doing is we're ultimately making wine to give to the world um, so that they will also receive Jesus and so on and so on. And it continues on. And then... <coughs> The, what is the wine? The wine is the great commission and the results. That's what I just said. The result is the wine. And so, again, uh, let's talk about what our job is, because Jesus' job is, is all of the things I said. But what is our job? It would seem that our job is to accomplish the great commission. That's what it would seem like, because if that's the fruit, that's our job. And I think it's great. I think when we talk about this, um, we are, this church specifically, this family, is really good at being missional. That's what we, that's what we call the missional communities. Our communities are based off of mission, right? So it is important that we're doing the Great Commission, that we're actually going out and telling people about Jesus. But it would seem like that is our job, but actually it's not our job. Our job is not to make the wine, to do the Great Commission, but to abide in Him. And the result of that healthy Christian life brings bountiful fruit and eventually the wine. The wine and the, the, the fruit happens because we're doing our job abiding in Him. That's good. That is the job. And I think what happens a lot, and I'm not saying this based off of anybody that I've specifically thought through that this church, I just think in general, okay? I just think in general, I see a lot of people be really focused on, um, on you know, telling people about Jesus that they didn't do a good job abiding in Jesus first. I'm gonna tell you a quick little story. Um, I've said this already before, the first year you get saved, you're the most potent, right? Um, I also would say that you're probably the most um, brash as well, maybe, and, and, and even sometimes even the most sour, maybe, you know, when you think of the wine or you think of the juice, right? Um, and uh, so I have an experience that I grew up uh, a Christian and all that kind of stuff, but then I got kind of resaved when I was 22 years old, and uh, I had just bought a house um, in Fircrest, and, and my next door neighbor, um, you know, 
What, what does a Christian do? They tell their neighbors about Jesus. That's what I do. So I went over and talked to my neighbor, invited him over. Turns out he's a musician. Perfect. Okay. He comes over. We jam a little bit. And like within like three, you know, two or three hours of us jamming, first time I ever met him. Well, actually, this was the second time because I met him the day I moved in. But really, this is the first time I've had a real conversation with him. I went boom, right in. I said, you know what? I think you need Jesus. And I, I said some not, probably some great things, you know, he smokes pot and he was, you know, he was, you know, not living a certain life. And, uh, and so I was a little bit more forward and this was when pot was illegal, okay? So he really shouldn't have done it at that point. And, uh, and so I just told him, I said, hey, come, you know, um, I want to help you get off pot. I wanna, <laughs> whatever, that's what I'm doing. I don't know him, he doesn't know me. And I just played guitar with him. And of course, he never talked to me again, okay? <laughs> I failed that one, okay? Now, um, my whole point in that is just to make that I had not spent the time abiding in Jesus to actually learn how to truly love a person, how to truly speak to him. Now, I'm not saying that you should wait five years before you ever share Jesus with anybody, but it should be an overflow of what you're doing, the work you're doing with Jesus, the, the kind of ministry that he is doing to you and that you're ministering to him. See, the reality is, is it's not just ministering to our hearts that Jesus does, but it's actually our job to minister to Jesus, right? We're supposed to bless him. We're supposed to worship him. We're supposed to praise him. And that happens. And as we do that, um, it changes the way that we are, which makes us missional. It makes us fruit. Um, or bear fruit. Good. Let's look at the next verses. Four through eight. It says, um, by the way, we are in John 15, if you didn't get that. Uh, verses four through eight. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. I just said that. Spoke about that. Unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you. Unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's pretty bold, guys. You can do nothing apart from me. I like to say that to my kids once in a while. You can do nothing apart from me. Uh, they're very capable, actually, without me. Uh, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. This is intense. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Interesting that he says that last thing. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As we abide in him, as we get close to him, as we have a relationship with him, fruit comes. And that is the evidence in which we are disciples of Jesus. It doesn't say the Great Commission. It doesn't say that people come to Jesus through you, and that's how it proves a disciple. It's actually the fruit that happens, which is actually the the um, you know the love and the and the, and the you know the fruits of the spirit and all those kinds of things. That is what proves whether you're a disciple. But when you do that, when you prove those things, 
people get changed because they can't not be changed because God is so beautiful at that moment. This fruit is so good, right? Um, So let's look at two definitions of to abide. To abide, the first one, which is going to be the more typical biblical definition, is going to be to remain or to stay. To remain is simple but imperative. I mean, seriously, like like we're being told, just don't go anywhere. Mm. Just don't stray. Just stay. To remain is simple. The concept brings emphasis to God being the source of life, though. Without him, it's impossible to live. Mm. And of course, we know in the world, people live to 80 years old and never know Jesus. It's not a physical life, but it is a very deep um, change that happens. And and they, they will end their life into death. But we end our life into life because... We have abided in him. He's the source of life. Uh, If we do not stay, we will not be healthy. And it says we are thrown away like branches that wither. Uh, This is important. This is important for us to realize that it actually, there is an end to this whole thing. There is actual hell and there is actual heaven. Those things do exist. And when we do not abide in him, It's not because he's like, oh, I'm frustrated with you that you're not abiding in me. What he's saying is when you're not abiding in me, you are actually already dying. Mm -hmm. And you're actually killing the rest of everything. And you have to be plucked out and eventually thrown in the fire as it withers and dries up, right? It's not because he doesn't love you. Doesn't mean that he doesn't love your neighbor or your friends or the people that you're ministering to. He loves them. But it's important that we, that we actually realize that without being in him, we cannot get the nourishment to keep our life. It's not an ultimatum, but a reality. He will throw away a branch that denies him because it withers and dies on their own. Without him, there is no life. Uh, that's not a very popular thing to say from the pulpit, I, I think, but um, I just want you to know that it is the truth. And that is why we do the Great Commission. That is why we abide in Him. The fruit happens and the wine eventually is made because we want people to realize that they need Him so they don't go to hell. Number two, another definition is to abide. It says to accept and to follow. See, this is actually the more popular. If we were to use the word abide right now in modern English, we would look at it as to accept or to follow. You, are you abiding by my rules? Have you ever said that to your kids? That, that's, that's something that we do. So are you accepting this rule that I'm giving you? And are you following this rule? That's what we're saying. Well, I want to look at that, even though that's not necessarily biblically what he's looking at. But I think we can use this to accept and to follow. Accepting our role in the process is important. Because it stops legalism. We need to accept our role as the abiders and not by the ones who follow all the rules. Because you're not going to follow all the rules. You're going to miss the rules. But we need to accept our role in the process. You know, there are people 
that shame others for not doing mission. And we don't want to do that. Well, all we want to do is keep our head down and abide in Jesus, right? And then we will see the mission happen. Um, you know, to accept and to follow. So following him wherever he goes or whatever he says helps trust the process. The trimming and pruning hurts. You need to follow him. You need to follow wherever he goes. If you think about the vine, when you think of the uh, specifically grapevines, is when you look at how they grow, they grow on these, like, I don't know what they, they're called. Trellis. What, trellis? Okay. Anyway, but they, they, they weave and they do their thing. I mean, like, literally, you have to follow to be a part of this branch. You've got to follow along. And, uh, and so sometimes there is trimming that needs to happen in order for it to not completely overtake the next one, right? So trimming and pruning, um, it hurts, but we are following him and we're accepting the fact that we might need to be trimmed and pruned. Verse 9 through 13, let's look at that. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So we introduce the, the word love now. Not just abiding in Jesus, not just abiding in the vine, but abiding in his love. Uh, just a few things on this. I think we've talked about love a ton, but this is a specific understanding of love. This is, as the Father loved me, I love you. Okay, there's an actual equation going on. If you keep my commandments, and then says a couple of things, and it says, as I've kept my Father's commandments. Again, there's an equation here going on. Jesus is doing something and showing you, but not just showing you, but because he actually wants to do it too. He wants to abide in the Father's love. He wants to follow the Father's commandments. And in that process, he then asks us to do the same with him. And of course, by doing it with Jesus, we're also doing it with Father, and it's all, it's that whole concept of I, I am Him, or, you know, I am the great I am, and, and that, that they're all together, or whatever. There's a bunch, I should have brought that down. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay, C, no greater love than someone laying down his life for friends. So there, there's three major things I'm trying to point out in this specific understanding of love today, is this is a high expectation love. This is high expectation. Jesus is loving the Father and modeling a love for the Father for us to love Him and then ultimately love our neighbors. And it even says those neighbors no longer are neighbors, but they're friends. They're friends. They become more than neighbors. I don't know about you guys. You guys, because I know I'm new here, it seems like you guys do the neighbor thing great, okay? But I have lived in many houses and I've had some great neighbors 
and I've had some doozies, okay? <laughs> I've had some that were just not that great of neighbors. Now, I probably wasn't being that great of a neighbor either because I was responding to their not so great neighboring, if that makes sense, okay? But the reality is, is that we do not do the neighboring thing very well in America, I believe. I believe that our neighbors are actually whoever we want to hang out with. That's who our neighbor is. It it's, might be somebody in a different city. That's my neighbor for some reason. But actually, your neighbor, I have a specific neighbor right now that's a nice guy. Um, but he, he has trash everywhere and I am always trying to figure out ways to encourage him to not have trash overflow into our lawn, okay? <laughs> Essentially. And you know, I love, I, I wanna love this guy, but there are moments where I just do not want to love this guy, if that makes sense, okay? And, and so I know you're all gonna be in this position in some way, and maybe it's not your current neighbors, but it's other people in your life. Sometimes our family members are basically those neighbors, okay? Sometimes they're letting trash flow into your own life, you know, that they have, right? So um, anyway, this is high expectation love. This is real love that we're supposed to have that is a love specific that Jesus has modeled. It's good. Again, not a love that we learn in this world, but a love we learn from the Father, learn from Jesus. Mm. Another one, this is high capacity love. High capacity love. This is a love that is beyond what we can do on our own. Mm. We cannot do it without Him. And so again, it just drives us to want to abide in Him. And then the third thing is, is this is a supernatural love. This is a love that only comes from spiritual renewal. It only comes from life that is a life that has been changed by Jesus and the Holy Spirit is indwelling in you. It's the only way you can love this way because naturally you don't want to love certain people. And there are Christians I don't want to love. So it isn't specific to non-believers. I'm talking about we are not very good at loving without Jesus. That's what my point is. Let's look at verse 13 through 15. Greater love has no one than this. I'm just reading kind of the, the one right before it. That someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. I love that. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Let's just take a moment and just thank the Lord that we are not aliens to him. That we are not um, un unreachable to him. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for letting us be your friend. God, that that relationship is, is not just not just a, a relationship where you saved us and, and good luck, but you want to walk with us. You want to be our friend. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So a um, couple things here. I have called you friend. That's important. Um, love one another as I have loved you. Um, I already mentioned that, but when you look at this, 
you look at this friendship relationship, is Jesus is trying to model to us what a friendship is. And it says, but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. This is a hard one. Uh, I don't know if you guys were here for the labs, but the labs was great this week, or this last month. We, we did do an overview of what we're going to be teaching. There's a lot we're going to be going through. But I want to say this, that um, there was something that was very convicting for me, is I'm really good at having a friend and, a, and, and, and creating relationships at coffee shops and, and even my neighbors. I'm actually pretty good at it, and I, and I, I figured that out. I, I really like people. Okay, I really do, and I make, my, I make time for people. I really care about that. But there is still that moment at some point where I need to say, and Jesus is real, and you need Jesus. But I, some, because of my PTSD of that first year <laughs> of me completely royally screwing that up, I still have problems at times getting past that and getting past the fact that I'm showing them all the love of Jesus that I can but ultimately, there is something that Jesus does for his friends that he doesn't do, that he's specifically saying. Is he saying, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, he is meaning something specific here, but I want to point out that it's the same thing for us. It's all that I know about Jesus, about the Father, I want those people to know. So I can't just let them know the goody-goody fun stuff where I get to just give them I get to, you know, buy them coffee and I get to spend some great time and we get to play games or we, you know, play music or whatever. But actually, they need to know the greatest part of the news. The greatest part of the news is that, yes, we're all sinners. But there's an answer to that, and that's Jesus, mm -hmm. right? The gospel. That is so important. How can we love one another if we don't love one another with the actual real good news? We're actually not loving them. It's actually the opposite of love is we are actually we're teasing them. How lame is that? I did not write that down, but that's a good one. I should have written that. <laughs> we are teasing them. Nobody likes to be teased. Another thing I wrote down there was uh, lay down his life. Another thing that Jesus did for us is he laid down his life and he models that. He models that because we're supposed to lay down our life as well. And no, I don't think you're going to have to die physically for somebody. But you might. Your comforts might need to die sometimes. You may need to bless somebody beyond your means and you don't know how you're going to take care of things sometimes. You might need to give more of your time that week than you had allotted to help somebody. Which, by the way, none of you guys have any allotted time to help anybody, probably, you know. Like, I don't think, ooh, how much time do I have to help anybody? <laughs> I'm normally saying, please, God, send somebody to help me. You know, that's typically what I'm doing, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, your comforts. You might need to lay down your way of life for a time being. Um, this is not at all for me to, like, sound holy or any of these kinds of things, but by me moving here, I laid down a way of life. I really did. I had a wonderful house. I have a piece of junk house right now. I'm just honest. We're working on it, and it won't be a piece of junk at some point. But we, we, we had a great house. Um, my money did way better over there than it does here. Okay. <laughs> There's a way of life that changed. But it's not because 
uh, because it, I mean, it's it's because Jesus told me to love you guys. Jesus told me to come and help my my brother-in-law and sister, and to see um, also this area, which I love so dearly. God's given me a supernatural love for the Tacoma and Federal Way and, and really the Seattle area in general, and I believe that God needs to send more people because we are, um, we are under uh, the harvest of plenty, but the workers are few, right? So uh, I think North Carolina has enough. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. It's a joke. Uh, okay. We were just talking about North Carolina. That's the only reason why I said it. Um, great things about North Carolina, by the way. Great things. Okay. Uh, and then again, love is a sacrifice. Love is a sacrifice. Um, if you love to love, you might not be loving right. If you love to love, you might not be loving right. I know that sounds weird, but sometimes you have to love beyond what you can do. Not sometimes, actually maybe every time. I don't know, I love my wife with all my heart, but she, just her being who she is, she beats me up. Because she is somebody who is not me, and I wanna love myself. I want her to be me so I can love myself, okay? But that's not who she is, she's her. A much better person, actually, I think. But it's hard to love somebody that's not yourself. And that's why he says, love somebody that's not yourself. You want everybody to be like you. We want this place to be a mono place. That's what we want. We want everybody to be like ourselves because it would be that much easier. But if you, the more you abide in Jesus, the more you learn about yourself. And from that point on, you realize that you are not that great and you don't want anybody to be like you. Okay? But you realize that God is good and he is the one who makes this all work. And it's not whether it's me or whether it's her or whatever. So loving is a sacrifice, it hurts sometimes. And I just wrote down one little thing, uh, love, loving a neighbor is not tickling their ears, not teasing them. That's probably where I got the teasing. Okay, let's look at uh, verse 16 through 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. You did not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you. Interesting. You know, there's, there's many ways I can go with this, but um, I think the most important thing today that I wanted to say about this is that we are wanted. It's mm, good. We are wanted, okay? And another thing is, is we are plan A. We're plan A. See, we're wanted, we're not needed. We're not needed, but we're wanted. He's chosen us because he wants us. Mm, good. He wants us to partake in this. Again, we're plan A. He doesn't have plan B. His people go and saturate the world. And more and more and more and more it continues on. And that is what builds his kingdom. That is plan A. I wrote down something, organic fruit. I just, this is just a concept here. And I might be going somewhere crazy, but just think about this. My wife only likes to eat organic food, okay? And partially, that's because we have a son that is, uh, has had seizures, and when we started taking out non-GMOs and um, 
are taking out GMOs and taking out antibiotics that go in your food and really doing organic, his seizures were uh, cut by a third, okay? So, um, or two thirds, and so there's a third left. And then he actually eventually got um, rid of them, they, they're no longer there. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, but I'm just gonna praise God for it, regardless if it's age or whatever it is, or if the organic food, I don't actually care. I just praise God that it happened. And by the way, he's one of the most fun-loving, just like, I cannot believe we missed out on so many years of his fullness. You know, I'm so glad. Uh, that just blesses me, right? But um, we eat organic food. Now, this is not about organic food in the physical, but this is about what our fruit looks like. What I want to point out is that the kind of fruit that we're supposed to be creating here is supposed to be like plump, juicy, good fruit. But I don't know about you guys, have you noticed that the organic fruit is slightly smaller than some of the other fruit? Well, the reason why is because when they inject the things that they inject sometimes, it actually is modifying. That's why it's called GMO, right? It modifies certain things. Now, I'm not, this is not, you guys can eat whatever you want. It's all good. There's freedom and there's biblical verses about that. You can eat whatever you want, okay? But what I will say this is that what we don't want spiritually is we don't want to genetically modify any of that fruit. We want it to be pure and organic. What does that mean? It means that we need to obviously abide in Jesus. That needs to be our focus. But there's, the reality is, why do they do that? They do that to protect it from the elements. But I actually think the elements are part of the process of us becoming healthy fruit. Mm. So as we jump into if the world hates you, we're going to look into that right now. Verse 18 through 22. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The world is storms. The world is hail. The world is freezing temperatures. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you, wants to destroy you. It wants you to be so unhealthy that you are ripped off and you're put in the pile that's going to be burnt. That's what they want. They, I don't, protecting the word they, it is the world, whatever that is, the darkness, however it is. Remember the world that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you an account, on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Now there is so much to unpack that last verse that I have no time. So I'm going to focus on a few other things. The results. This is the result of abiding. So I'm saying abide in Jesus. I'm saying do it. Do it. Hold on. Cling on. Stay. Remain as much as you can with all the power that you have to do that because you're about to go through some really hard stuff 
But then also, it's a warning, and this is why following Jesus is not easy. This is why it's a sacrifice to love like he loves. It's a sacrifice to do church like how we want to do church here. It's because we're going to experience persecution. We're going to experience hatred. It says hatred. Hatred, as we know, hatred is actually killing of the heart. They may not physically be killing you, but they really do hate you. Now they, again, it's up for whatever you want to look at, but really the world is not wanting this to happen. He doesn't, they, they, they don't want you to follow the Lord. The enemy doesn't want you to follow the Lord. Let's look at 23 through 25. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Uh, the sin of rejection. That's what this sin is when they're talking about it. It says guilty of sin. One sin. It's not sins, but it's a sin. And it's guilty of rejection. How they reject him is, a, is many different ways. Honestly, most of all of our sins are just a rejection of Jesus. That's all it is. So anything that we do that sins is I reject what Jesus says for me to do here. I'm going to do something else. I reject it. That's the idea of sin. The, the signs of Jesus being the Messiah gave them a clear acceptance or rejection. So again... As we go out into the world, as we are telling people about Jesus, as we are doing what we're, I was saying, loving them truly, we also need to give them signs or opportunities. And I'm not saying signs and wonders like you have to be on the side of the road and healing people and people be all mad. If you want to do that, I might join you once in a while. That's okay. I'm not completely against that. But I just want you to know that that's not what this is talking about. It's not signs and wonders necessarily. It is a sign in which he was who he said he was, the Messiah. He was the one that came. And we need to present that Jesus is the true only way. And we need to give people opportunities to accept or reject. We really do. That needs to happen. And again, this is coming from a conviction that I learned the other day from, you know, Soma Labs. It's like... I give them a lot of great things. I'm loving on them all the time, but I am not giving them the opportunity and the sign of this is really the real thing and you do need to make a choice. You need to do something about this or not. Then those same signs are in his people today. So again, that is us. And then as we abide, we look like and represent him. There will be people that accept, but there will also be people who reject. And so not only is it that they're rejecting the actual truth, but they're actually rejecting you as a person as well. And that happens. Um, you will experience this. I don't want to go too far into it because I am getting done with time. But my, my wife has family members that has legitimately rejected her 100%. 100% rejection. So if any of you guys are in the same boat, we understand. We understand what it's like to be fully rejected. We don't reject them, we love them, we want them to accept. But they've rejected because of the way we wanna live our life. 
because we want to protect our children, because we want to take care of them and help our kids abide in Him, right? There are things, and I don't want to go into too much detail, but the point is, is that people will reject you. But guess what? There will be people that accept you as well. And that's what we're hoping and praying for, right? We're praying for, right now, in Soma Federal Way, 10 uh, baptisms of people that have accepted Jesus and accepted his people. That's what, that's, that's what we're hoping and praying for. We need to be the most purified branches so our fruit is a beautiful representation of Jesus the Savior so that it does the work that only God the Father does. Abide in the vine as Jesus modeled it. 